Westworld Season 2, Episode 3 is over, but we are just getting started here, welcoming you to Westworld here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I am Josh Wiggler, and be careful of this one. She has a dragon, Joe Garfine. Joe, welcome to the party, my friend. Uh, thank you very much. It's nice to be back. I am a huge fan of what I like to call a robot Charlize Theron, which is Armistice. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. my God. She looks like Charlize. Atomic Blonde. Yeah. It's With like a, the the flamethrower, crazy. A little, a little bit of Khaleesi in there, a little Mad Max. It's nice. Do you know what I like about uh, that line that Hector has when he says, "Oh, she has a dragon." Uh, <laughs> so I guess, like in in Westworld, like even in like this like fictional Western landscape, they know what dragons are. Well, I thought it was a program in case they come across Samurai World. Ooh, yeah. So maybe just as uh, as like Robert Ford has hacked everybody and just like lifted all the restrictions. Ooh. Now you like subconsciously know the lore of the other parks that are nearby. And we'll get into this later. Or Maeve has um, upped his programming. Or Hector <laughs> has already been to Samurai World because hasn't uh, Rodrigo Santoro been referred to in the past as like the South American Tom Cruise, who then could have been the <laughs> South American Tom Cruise in The Last Samurai World. Wow, this is deep. Uh, but also, I would like to say that how do we not know it's Shogun World? I know it's Shogun World. I'm okay. sorry. Uh, epic fail. Off to a terrible start. <laughs> uh, but it, this, the breaking news isn't even about Shogun World. Like, it, yes, it seems like we're at Shogun World by the end of the episode. But Joe, welcome to the Raj. Uh, that was another lovely cold open that sort of blew my theory brain wide open. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, I thought that this... I, I wrote about this for THR. Uh, I thought that was so clever that, like, we have spent the past year and a half being like, oh, my God, there are other parks in Westworld. Oh, my God, there is, like, a, a land filled with samurai. We're going to go to Shogun World. That's going to be incredible. And, like, getting closer to the season, you're so hyped for that. You're so excited to see what all of that's going to look like once you finally get there. And before we spend even a second in Shogun World, we are sucked into this universe of a completely different park that exists within the Westworld universe. Uh, completely, like, unexpectedly just, like, dropped into this totally different landscape. And I thought that that was such a great subversion of what we were all expecting in terms of, like, okay, we know we're going to see Shogun World this year. Will we see parks beyond that? The answer is, like, a big fat yes. <laughs> and you will see this brand new park that you had never even considered its existence before. Uh, uh, until right this very second before you get to see like a shred of Shogun World at the very end of the episode. Very fun. That was super cool, I thought. Well, Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy are obviously the king and queen of misdirect. Um, and we are on our own version of the maze looking for our own door. And I, I think that the only time I ever thought maybe we'll visit somewhere else is when you pointed out, I believe in our last podcast, when I asked about the zone the Bengal tiger had washed up from, I assumed it was Shogun World. And you said, no, it was a different right. zone. And I went, oh. Maybe we'll see a different zone this year. Otherwise, it had never crossed my mind. Yeah, well, it crossed park lines, yeah. at least. Uh, but yeah, I mean, in the first episode of the season, they set this up. There's the there's the line from Luke Hemsworth's character where he's talking about, oh my God, we've got Bengals in Park 6, but they're not <laughs> supposed to cross park lines. Uh, and so at that point, like when you cross-reference that with this website that I'd mentioned the other week, daylistdestinations.com, where they show that there are six parks the first one is Westworld. The second one is Shogun World. And then uh, three through six were all uh, unknowns. Hmm. Um, now six has been identified on the website. And it is uh, it is called The Raj. Not Raj World. Not anything world. It is straight up just 
the Raj based on uh, British colonial rule in India. Kind of racist. You know, anyone who is like actively seeking to spend time in this world, uh, getting a flag on the field from from me over here is what I'm saying. I have a counter theory to that uh, because I did not do any history uh, research or Googling. My immediate thought was anagram. An anagram for the Raj is the jar. And maybe the door is ajar. Also, <laughs> I, not, I'm not kidding. The garage is, is my short favorite. For the garage, the garage that, door. I'm just that saying. Is by far and away my favorite Joe Garfine theory of all time. <laughs> the door is ajar. Ajar. And the garage is short for the garage. I'm just saying. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, but yeah, it, it was great. It was it was a very fun opening. So we'll dive into all of that and more. I'm sure that you just were going nuclear over so many <laughs> of the things that we were seeing in this episode. So we'll get into it just to give you guys all of the nitty gritty details before we hop in. If this is your first time along for the ride, welcome aboard. I'm Josh. That's Joe. We are your uh, hosts here, not robots, actual human hosts, as far as I know, uh, on this podcast. Welcome to Westworld, which is a co-production on Post Show Recaps, also being featured featured on The Hollywood Reporter. We would love it if you guys would subscribe. Postshowrecaps.com slash Westworld is our show-specific feed. Uh, your ratings, your reviews, all of that, very, very much appreciated. Uh, one other uh, technical note we wanted to get out of the way here before we really started diving into this is just to let you guys know a little bit about uh, about where Joe and I come from in terms of like literally where we live. I'm East Coast based. I'm in New York. I'm watching the episode live as it airs. Joe, you are in uh, in sunny California, I uh, am. where where you are watching the West Coast feed and getting the occasional like tweet sent your way during the East Coast feeds that are like maybe slightly just a little tiny bit like spoiling a thing or two for you. Totally positive intent, and I appreciate your shared enthusiasm from our lovely listeners. Um, I would just ask that maybe wait until after the West Coast um, you know, airing of the episodes. Of course, I could be off Twitter, but I choose not to be. But I do appreciate your enthusiasm and um, your tweets. So keep those coming, but maybe like after 10 p.m. Pacific or the next day. Yeah, but you are at risk, you know. Oh, if you're, yeah, if you're, you're going on Twitter on the on the night of the East Coast airing, like you're you're putting yourself in uh you're you're like lining up with all the <laughs> confederados and uh just you know potentially getting getting up there. Like it's it's it's, it's a risk. It's it, a risk. It's fair. It's a risk. It's worth taking. I you know, I am a Twitter addict, so it's my own good. We all are at this <laughs> point. We can, we cannot we cannot be helped. We are stuck in the maze. All right, let's wander <laughs> let's wander into the maze of episode three, Virtue Fortuna, uh, which begins again, uh, second cold open in a row uh, that we're getting here, and it's a completely new universe. Um, we are in uh, you know we are in the Raj as we come to find out. Park six, uh, Raman Jawadi, who is the incredible series composer, uh, killing it again with a cover of the White Stripes' Seven Nation Army. It's just so the good. instrument. The instrumentation on it is great. You can actually... That's on YouTube uh, on his official page, I believe. I've listened to it a few times. It's like two minutes long. And it's just... It's done so well. Uh, so that's fantastic. And we're we're just like... We're seeing all these people. It's like high tea time. <laughs> Everybody is just like being served. And like it's a lot more of a docile environment than anything we've seen in Westworld proper. And we are introduced very quickly to the story of a man and a woman and their little... Uh, little meat cute or their tea cute as <laughs> Ooh, it were josh that was pretty good it was okay it's not my best okay 
It's no a jar, but it's no, it's not the jar. It is not the <laughs> jar. It is the tea cute as uh, as this this woman and this man are meeting, and this woman is going to be a character that we are going to be following for the the vast majority of this sequence, the entirety of this sequence, and we'll check in with her again at the end of the episode as well. But she uh, she is the the subject of much theorizing that I am seeing. On the World Wide Web, Katja ha- uh, Habers, I believe is how you pronounce her her name, um, who we have seen in uh, in The Leftovers, among many other shows. Very good actress who is a, a series regular this year on Westworld, uh, playing a character named Grace. Though I have seen a lot of theories from people who are like, I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with this character. Well, if you'll allow me, I certainly yes. have my largest theories of the episode are about Grace. To me, that's her middle name. Her name is Emily Grace Delos. Now, if you'll allow me to go down a rabbit hole and follow me down the white rabbit here. She had a secret notebook and a map. She's there to hunt, but for her father, William. If you think about the aging, we know from last season that William is in the park and he spends a lot of time there and his wife killed herself and his daughter blames him for her death. Yeah. I believe that Emily Grace Delos is there looking for her father. And I believe that she's working with old man Logan on the outside. He's very familiar with the park. He probably created the map, even though it's been terraformed over the 30 years since he was there. That's my, you know, interpretation of it. Um, She was very familiar uh, with guns and she was trained with guns and she's just a human guest. So she clearly learned that from dad. That's my, uh, that's the way I read that scene. Uh, this week's opening credits of Westworld, Ed Harris's name was displayed over the mother and child. And so mm. these are things that I do like to point out. Um, so I also think that she could have been sent to the park now to find and retrieve Dad Bernathy. Mm, yeah, well, she's getting wine. <laughs> I, I know, right? And one more thing is that when she washed up in Westworld at the end of the episode, we'll get there, but she was taken by Ghost Nation, but not killed outright. They also did not kill Stubbs. Right. So I think she's still alive because the Ghost Nation has been reprogrammed by Elsie. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's. I think that's been a hot theory for a while because we're still trying to figure out where the hell Elsie's at. So yeah. I, I like that one. I think for me, like, definitely we are going to see Stubbs and Grace cross paths the next time we see Grace. Like, we still have to fill in that, you know, almost two week, uh, two week period of time yeah. between uh, the falling out of the park and the timeline where we're seeing uh, Carl Strand and Stubbs and all of those people. We need to find out how Stubbs, uh, uh, rejoined civilization as it were such as it is yeah. uh, so we still don't have an answer to that i think grace teaming up with him that feels like a given at this point given that they were both last seen in the clutches of ghost nation mm-hmm. i love i love the idea that she is emily who is a character that we have heard about mm-hmm. a lot we've actually seen emily on the show yeah, already emily. At this point, yep, exactly. In episode two, in the the week before, uh, when we were finding out that Dolores and other hosts had left the park before, we had seen Dolores cross paths with William's daughter at that party when she was a little girl. So it definitely feels like the show has wanted to remind us of that character. I also noted that uh, this this character was like very misanthropic, kind of like uh, yeah. you know the Man in Black, like the attitude towards the host and what is real and what is not. It's felt a game. Like, yeah, it felt very similar. So. So my my thought uh, was that like oh well these two characters are 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 on a collision course I didn't really have my head immediately going to oh that's Emily 
until I started seeing a little bit more of that theory, like, ooh, that that makes a lot of sense. There's another popular one that I don't think makes any sense, but <laughs> but people are really into it. It seems like, do you remember, uh, and this is more like the, the, the royal you, Joe, I know you will remember, uh, Teresa Cullen from, yeah. from season one of Westworld. And for those who have forgotten her, she is the Delos member uh, who is, you know, in a relationship with Bernard and then gets killed by Bernard on, on Ford's orders when we find out that Bernard is a host for the first time. People thought that Grace... And Teresa may be the same person um, and that this was like some sort of flashback to a younger version of Teresa. And the reason being is because apparently the way they smoke cigarettes is very similar. <laughs> OK, it just it wouldn't make sense with her washing up in the now. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I think like that's cute. But I think that that's where like uh, that's where we're like getting as fried as the as the hosts themselves. <laughs> like that's like the type of malfunctioning that I that I get worried about with this show. So I like your theory a lot. I think that that's really fun. Um, clearly hasn't bared out yet on the show. Um, you know, hopefully we'll get some sort of definitive answer just in terms of like what her agenda is sooner right. ra- rather than later. Um, but we follow her for a while. Uh, she and the guy, Hottie McHotHot, Paul Bettany look alike. <laughs> Like, uh, totally. she, yeah, she and the vision are uh, are getting it on. She has to test that he's not an android like the vision uh, that had to hurt. Uh, <laughs> she she shoots him. Um, you know, they go off for a hunt in in the jungle and it turns very, you know, everything turns very bad very quickly where, you know, the, the malfunction that is uh, happening in Westworld, I guess this is important information and maybe not a surprise, but just it's con- it's confirmation now that whatever is happening outside of uh, happening in Westworld proper, it's happening in other parks as well. We're seeing the malfunctions here in Park 6. Yeah, and it is interesting to see it spread so quickly. Yeah, I mean, I guess we don't know like exactly when this is, um, because when Dolores snaps and kills Robert Ford, that's at night. Uh, right. This is broad daylight that people uh, that these hosts seem to just like turn on a dime. So I don't know if that's like an important detail or just like kind of a continuity error. Um, or they have to well dial up and it takes a while. Yeah. Or they're yeah, they're like, uh, you know, it's like the Hunger Games and like they're inside <laughs> domes that have like different uh, that have like different like skylines and stuff. So the Wi-Fi like, is bad in the Raj. Right. Yeah. The, <laughs> the Raj <laughs> Wi-Fi, I bet, would be pretty good. Like in the, at the tea party, I felt like uh, you could probably get online there. No problem. Yeah. And actually, uh, one quick thing is um, Grace. That's her name. Sure. Uh, met with another gentleman before McCotty came up. So, you know, maybe she had paid someone to get some information to her with from her map or yeah yeah i'm very curious to see what's going on with with all of that clearly whatever she has been planning uh, a little bit of a wrench at the very least has been thrown into it now that the hosts are rebelling and she's forced on the run and she has to like outrun Sher khan and it's <laughs> You know, it's all very scary and she gets like thrown off the cliff and we know that she's going to survive ultimately because we see her at the end of the episode being surrounded by Ghost Nation. I think we could just combine her whole story here. Um, but she's cool. I like her. I like the character a lot. I'm really excited about whatever is going to happen with this one. Same. We always like some, we like fresh blood. Yeah, fresh blood is good. And I think another thing that's good, unless like she is secretly a robot, which is not off the table because we know nothing about her, but she is being presented to us at the very least as a a guest. Uh, And I think 
even though the show is so focused on the creation of a new species and, you know, like, a, you know, a new people coming to inherit the land. And I love that. Uh, and I love that the vast majority of the characters that we care about and are following are, are of the host kind. Uh, I think it's good to have a few compelling humans in the mix. And it's nice to have this one added to the added to the roster. And it occurred to me, too, when I was watching, you know, all animals are programmed hosts as well. So right. when she crosses that line to go, you know, and she was on the cliff with the water, that 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 tiger went right past that digital line. And it's like, I think they're programmed to kill. They know they can distinguish between hosts and humans. Yeah, I mean, everybody's off the leash. And yeah. like that, I think that that, you know, you talk about paying attention to the to the opening credit sequence, right? Like you yeah. talked about Ed Harris's name going up over the image of the mother and the child. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, one thing to certainly pick up on this season is the opening credit sequence has changed. Yes. And one of the big emphasis points is this like uh, this bison that is off the loose, right? Like this, yep. this buffalo that is just like charging through. Um, and it, it makes you wonder is like the ferocity of Mother Nature, as it were. Uh, is that gonna is that gonna play a role? Like, is this Bengal tiger just like the first of a freaking tiger army uh, that's gonna that's gonna come into come into play? Probably not. But you just never know. You ne- honestly, this is what I love about the show. I actually have no idea every week what the hell's gonna happen, and I really love that. So if a tiger shows up in a future episode and speaks with the voice of Robert Ford, I mean, just get me out of here. Or better yet, align with the voice of Jeremy Irons. I would be very tickled. You know, I'm looking for a polar bear on the island. I know. So am I, okay. of course, as <laughs> as always. <laughs> uh, one more note on the animals. Um, if you go and you seek out DaylessDestinations.com, it takes you to, uh, uh, when, you, when you go and you look at all the different parks, they have some information that is written up just as like really tiny descriptions of the parks that we know about so far. And one of the things that they mention about the Raj is that this is a place where you can go if, you know, if you're, if you need more excitement than just relaxing and having your cup of Darjeeling tea is what they is what they say is you can go on uh safaris and check out magnificent beasts that have been uh that have been gone from your world for a long time Mm. um something like that so i don't think that that gives us like a hard and fast when are we necessarily in terms of the timeline of the show uh but you know i mean sadly like we are looking at like a not terribly distant future exactly where a lot of uh, a lot of you know amazing animals are going to be extinct uh that are currently endangered so it's just it's potentially just like a a bleak nod towards the near future but i thought that that was an interesting detail it is and bleak or not it's interesting to you know add this sort of um social responsibility what's happening into the show Totally, totally. Um, so the credits, we hit the credits, we go through the credits, and uh, we begin the episode in the, the furthest point of the timeline that we can identify so far. We are continuing that two weeks later storyline that started off in the first episode. It took a break in episode two. It's back here in episode three as Bernard, if that's Bernard, uh, Stubbs and Carl Strand and all of those people, they are getting into the Mesa where apparently it's a slaughterhouse in there which does not sound, uh, you know, especially lovely. Uh, And Charlotte is there. Tessa Thompson is alive in this period of time. And it seems like it's been a long time since she has seen Bernard. She seems surprised to be running into Bernard right now. Yeah, I was a little bit unclear of the timeline because I'm like, wait, does he have his glasses on? No. okay, You know, because we saw them down in the hatch in episode one. Right. Working together. And I do have a note on here that in all caps, it said, fine, she's not his daughter. (laughs) 
Yeah, she has no problem with it. Or if she is, she has no idea. But right. uh, yeah, she's <laughs> if she does know, uh, you know, I, I think that she's she's very quick to, to ditch this guy. Um, but yeah, this first scene with them is after everything that we've seen with with um, with Strand and Bernard and, and finding all of the hosts and Bernard being like, I killed them, all of them. Right. So this is this is after that. Um, and this is still, I believe, uh, unless there's a scene in this episode that I'm not remembering, I think that this is the only scene that we're getting from that moment in time. So they're really stretching that out so far, it seems like. They're really making a meal out of this future point. And I think this was the scene where she said, you made it out alive. I didn't think you had it in you. And I thought I was stuck on in you. Like, does she realize he's a host now? Right. Well, I think if you're looking at everything in the two weeks later time period with like a critical eye and like you're very skeptical of everything that is going on there, I think uh, it is it is well within reason to be reading these scenes as if like everybody knows what Bernard's deal is. Okay. Like, every, like everybody knows that he's a host or certain people could know that he's a host. Like they could be messing with him. They could be trying to like lure information out. Um, and if, if that's the case, what does Bernard know that they don't? Uh, like all of those questions I think are worth just keeping in mind just like for all the various different interpretations that you can lay upon those scenes right now but I thought the same thing like the way that Charlotte was talking to Bernard made me feel like something has happened in like the intervening period of time where Charlotte has figured out Bernard's secret right and I forget if it's this scene or not when she's gathering up the security team to go out with them on the Hummers but on uh, those little what are they called the Jeep I don't even know what those things are called. Right. The super cool cars. The super cool car Jeep things. Uh, it's like the, has, the, bat, the Batmobile. The Batmobile, <laughs> yes. She had her next scan to confirm that she's human. And I thought, have we seen that before? Um, Not that I can recall. Because I thought, yeah. why, don't, why doesn't everyone who works there carry one of those? Yeah, just like scan all life forms <laughs> at yeah. this point. No one can be trusted. It's true. Uh, all right. So so she says, uh, you know, she asks Bernard if you have any idea where Peter Abernathy might have gone. He seems to keep slipping away from us. And we flash back to um, Bernard and Charlotte continuing continuing their search to find Abernathy and succeeding in that uh, search where uh, we see... Abernathy is one of a bunch of different people who are being held captive by Rebus, the great Stephen Og, <laughs> who has a really fun uh, little mini storyline here in this scene where it's starting to like retroactively connect why Rebus, who is, uh, for those who don't know the character by name and those who do not know who Stephen Ogg is, first of all, shame on you because he's <laughs> fantastic. Uh, Simon of The Walking Dead, Trevor of Grand Theft Auto. Uh, and in the case of Westworld, he's the guy with the big bowler cap and the handlebar mustache who is typically, um, you, you know, he's typically viewed as, a, as an outlaw, as somebody who like, causes a lot of trouble for the Abernathys, in fact. Uh, and in the very first episode of the season, in one of the first scenes we see when Bernard is waking up on the beach and seeing all of these hosts who've been rounded up and are being shot by security forces, one of them uh, is Rebus, who is like, hey, don't treat women that way. And then he gets shot. And that was so out of character for that character. But now we see uh, in this scene, Bernard and Charlotte are trying to distract Rebus so that they can get to Peter Abernathy. They ambush him. They knock him out. 
and they turned him into the most virtuous and quickest gun <laughs> in the West. And he becomes like a complete antithesis of who he was before, where he's just like the most valiant gunslinger there is, even though he still has the ridiculous hat on. <laughs> uh, and he's going around trying to to save all of the people from his former uh, allies. And like the one woman like runs away. And he's like, wait, don't run away. It's very dangerous. I'll help you. I'll save you. I just thought that was incredible. It was. And I, I thought, why is Peter Abernathy with the humans? And is it, I'm like, wait a second. Is it just because he has a tuxedo on? I thought that was very interesting that he's a host. And I know he was sent on his mission. He has, you know, he's, he's glitching and twitching and he has the data. But how come he is with the humans? I think with 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 Abernathy over the course of the episode, it does it does feel like this is a guy who's really out of it. Uh, it seems like he is just he's completely out of sorts. He doesn't know where he is. Um, like he maybe has like some vague awareness of what's you know going on. Like there are these moments where he does speak as though uh, you know the the like the random dialogue seems to be applicable to situations, but he can't like articulate himself well. Um, but I I wouldn't be surprised if like he got rounded up with a bunch of people from the train or something like that. Yeah. And uh, like, was just like the way that he's carrying himself. Other people must've just like confused him for somebody who's freaking out. Um, but it was interesting. It was interesting that he's with these people. Oh, for sure. Um, and I forget, sorry if I'm jumping ahead, which scene it is, but he mentions the word splendor and it just caught my eye because of last week's episode of the cold open. Have you ever, you know, seen anything so full of splendor? Right. Yeah. I don't remember exactly where he says that, but yeah, I know here he, he starts like singing at the confederados. Again, glory, glory is a place yes, we're talking about. Yes. Yes. My eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. So glory keeps coming up. Uh, yeah. And so in this scene, Abernathy like gets himself caught again uh, by the confederados who are in league with Dolores so that's going to get us to an Abernathy family reunion in a little while Bernard is going to get caught as well Charlotte because Tessa Thompson is a badass just <laughs> gets out of there just GTFO out of there instantly um, I thought well the host cowboys take terrible shots at her and I thought okay she's the head of Delos is they, are they programmed not to kill Charlotte Hale yeah like is that still in place you mean right yeah, because I mean, you've wondered about that with the Man in Black too. Yeah, um, yeah. I think there are some people that I feel like it is in their programming, and whether or not Maeve and Dolores can override that will be it remains to be seen. Yeah, I I don't think that's off the table. Uh, I think it's okay. I think it's possible. I I said last week my preference would be that like everybody is fair game right now. Yeah. But but like it's either it's either the hosts had really bad aim and Charlotte is great on a horse, or <laughs> she does have a little bit of protection. So I think choose your own adventure on that until until proven otherwise. Well, um, obviously, no one can kill Tessa Thompson in any movie or film. So there you go. Exactly. Uh, you ready to go and uh, hang out with uh, with U.S. Marshal Frederick Lane? Uh, <laughs> Edward Mars is is in the house. A great uh, character from from Lost. Great actor uh, Frederick Lane, who is one of the first people you ever meet on Lost, which is obviously a show that Joe and I love very, very much. Uh, he is playing uh, He is playing the the main guy here. I, I, I didn't get his name. He's the Colonel. Colonel uh, Brigham. Colonel Brigham. Great. Yeah, so Colonel Brigham showing up here, and he is, uh, you know, he's this actor is so good at just, like, playing, like, a loathsome human being. Uh, and here he's, like, very, like, put off by the fact that, like, a woman is leading the pack. He's like, why are you letting her lead you? And very quickly uh dolores or should we say wyatt uh because you know she is uh she is referring to herself as wyatt 
in this yeah. scene. Uh, she proves her worth very quickly. She loads them up with automatic weapons, uh, allows them to test them out on this poor uh, moving target. Although who knows if that guy was a good guy or not. Either way, he is he is mince meat uh, yeah. pretty quickly here, and very uh, you know in such short order. Uh, Wyatt has has proven her worth, and the the colonel and the rest of the confederados are all completely under her spell. Yeah, it was uh, that whole scene, um, you know, leading up to the battle was pretty incredible. It was very Game of Thrones. Yeah, Khaleesi, you know, I know <laughs> totally. somebody else has a dragon in this episode, but uh, Dolores may as well. Why is the dragon? Yeah. And they're just like skipping off like the terrible season two uh, Game of Thrones Daenerys storyline <laughs> and going going straight into the to the war path against Slaver's Bay. I like it. Nice. Just forget about Karth. Karth didn't happen. <laughs> None of that was real. Um, so, yeah, so they're getting passage into Fort Forlorn, Forlorn Hope. That's a mouthful. Fort That's Forlorn mouthful. Hope. They could have streamlined the name, I think. <laughs> Just like Fort Hope. Just keep it, keep it simple. <laughs> Would have been my preference. Lack of hope would have been a great name. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so we we shift from them to uh, to Maeve and Hector and Sizemore, who just gosh, man, poor <laughs> poor Simon Quarterman being forced to to wear this costume uh, as Sizemore. Uh, this is if they ever make Westworld uh, action figures, this will be the last action figure they make. Is Sizemore in like little boy travel clothes? Payback is a bitch and a host. <laughs> Indeed it is. Uh, but they're on their way. They're crossing a river. And Ghost Nation, it's their first appearance of the episode, won't be their last. Uh, Ghost Nation shows up. And it's very triggering for Maeve, who starts to like have visions of, of uh, what has happened to her at the hands of Ghost Nation in the past. Right. And they seem immune to her commands, which is interesting, because they're the first ones so far that have been. Yeah, do you have a theory on that? Because she's usually able to get any host to do anything that she wants, and she says that to Ghost Nation. Uh, are you chalking this up to your theory that you have that Elsie, yeah. who is missing, has counterprogrammed them? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, good bet. Seems like a fair bet. Um, hard, hard, way, hard press like another one. Now? I just. I, I like Paolo now, man. Hector's I know. great. It's crazy. We like Maggie Grace these days on Fear uh, the Walking Dead. We like, we like Paolo. We like Paolo now. What's going on? Everything is uh, black is white, <laughs> up is down. Man in black is man in white. Uh, yeah. So, so Hector is able to, to speak with the Ghost Nation because uh, for those who don't remember, uh, and it took me a second to remember this too, it's like, oh yeah, Hector as a bandit, as an outlaw, like it was part of his backstory that he spends a decent amount of time in the wild. Uh, with Ghost Nation. Like, that's one of the reasons why Maeve seeks him out in the first place is because she thinks that he is going to be somebody who can give her some insight into the into the dreams that she has been having. Uh, right. And so that makes a lot of sense. But he's not really able to talk them down at all. Uh, they're just going to have to boogie on out of there. And they put on their running shoes and they get really fast and they are they able hatch. to to get into the hatch. Yes, another one of the, uh, the Delos stations they are able well, to find. I interpreted that scene as the Ice Nation only wanted Sizemore. And I think that's also an Elsie thing. Find the guy who wrote the narratives. We need him. I just have to quickly say that you said Ice Nation, which tickles my heart because I know you are such a a fan (laughs) of the Hunge. Uh, 100 100 shout out. 100 was on last night. Ice Nation. Sorry, I was thinking actually about Grounders and Ghost Nation being very similar. Yeah. So, yes. um, 
Sorry, let me go back a step. Scooby-Doo. The ghost nation only seemed interested <laughs> in Sizemore because I believe Elsie programmed them to find him and they were chasing him, but they weren't going to kill him. No, no. So they're they're looking for him. They want Sizemore. Why they want Sizemore, who knows? Maybe they want her for uh, want him for similar reasons that uh, that Maeve wants Sizemore, that he knows narratives and maybe he's useful. Uh, Sizemore, like coming into this season, I would have had very high on like my uh, to get killed off list. Yeah. Uh, but he's like he seemingly has some value this year. I mean, there's some also some some comedy gems. You know, finding out that he programmed Hector as an ideal version of himself. It's spectacular. Yeah. And then thinking back to season one, he was rejected by Charlotte in real life, who then used Hector as a sex toy. Totally. So, yes. Oh, that's genius. That's right. Oh, my like, God. Uh, that scene in the hallway of this episode made me laugh out loud, which you need. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's that it's that great meme, right? Of like you versus the host. She tells you not to worry about. Exactly. Yeah, so that's that's Sizemore and Hector. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so we go back to the to the fort where Bernard and Abernathy they are taken here, and Dolores obviously recognizes them immediately. Some guy is just being uh, brutal to Abernathy. Dolores and Teddy put that down very very quickly. Uh, she's able to get her father uh, in isolation. She sees Bernard as well, and. I don't know why immediately she has him thrown in jail with the rest of the humans other than maybe she doesn't want to blow his cover for some reason. Like does That's she have... what I think. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was what my interpretation was. It felt protective. Too. Yeah. Um, though they also have like kind of like a, a disagreement in philosophy, it seems like. Right. But I feel like he's not on her list of people to kill. Doesn't seem like it. Doesn't seem like it, at least not right away. Like, I think that she is curious to pick his brain, uh, his his brain ball, uh, the yeah. way that she was when she when she spoke with Maeve. Um, but we have this this uh, this scene where Dolores is going to go and talk to her father and Teddy is there and Teddy's like, wait, who is that? And again, for me, like it took me half a second to be like, oh, 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 that's sad. Of course, Teddy doesn't know who Peter Abernathy is, because as far as Teddy has been reprogrammed, a totally different guy was cast in the role of Dolores's father in the very first episode of the show. That's uh, like, right. Remember when Abernathy malfunctions the first time? So, yeah, of course, Teddy's not going to know who that is. Oh, wow. Wow. That's <laughs> very upsetting. It's a nice reminder that Teddy is pretty much the most clueless character on the show. He's far behind. He's got some catching. Yeah. He's got some catching up to do for sure. But she keeps uh, him around. Yeah, well, we could talk about that loaded look <laughs> towards the end of the episode. We'll see how long she's keeping him around for. Fair. Uh, but Dolores and her father are going to have a scene where it's like the the first moment of vulnerability we are seeing from Dolores this season so far, where she's kind of uh, you know he busts out some King Lear quotes. He talks about I'm bound upon a wheel of fire that my own tears do scald like molten lead which is king lear uh yet she is the one who is kind of uh giving like the the heavy lies the crown type of speech uh which i i thought was great where she was like you know i'm you know i've started a war the others don't see it but you understand me don't you like you get it and even then abernathy like kind of just like goes back to his old loop where he's like i want to go home i need to go home i need to get to the train i need to get to the train boss uh and it's it's all it's all very sad it's all very sad great acting by the great lewis hertham in this and I thought it was very interesting that despite their awakenings on different levels, both Maeve and Dolores have genuine love and concern for their families who are hosts. 
Yeah, I think, well, we have to start evaluating, um, you know, family structures within host culture such as it is, like such as it's developing. Um, you know, if if the hosts don't reproduce through like, you know, traditional human means, if they, you know, have other ways of like creating new hosts and like taking ownership over that, like, is it all about like chosen family? Is it about settling into the family that was initially chosen for you, but now has meaning because of shared experience? I think all of that's going to be really fascinating to to dig into if hopefully in like um, a third or fourth or fifth season, preferably earlier, if like we're able to really like kind of uh, zip forward in time a little bit and get a sense of like once they've started to like have some ownership over their own culture and their own community, like what will families look like within uh, within host kind? Yeah, it'd be very interesting if they retain this ounce of humanity and they rebuild and move forward if they insert that into future hosts. So uh, you mentioned this before, but we go back underground with Sizemore and Maeve and Hector and uh, Maeve and Hector are like very PDA. Sizemore (laughs) is like really tweaked out about it because like this is not supposed to happen. Like you guys are supposed to be like kind of into each other, but you're both loners. Uh, This is this is not supposed to supposed to be real. And Hector, you know, really takes issue with it. Uh, We find out about Isabella, who is this woman, this long lost love that has been programmed into Hector and he starts like opining about it and Sizemore finishes his sentence uh, to kind of like show like just like so you know I I do know a little bit about you guys. Um, I thought that that was a a really wonderful scene when he just like finishes speaking the line when she died the dream died with her and I dared to dream no more. Yeah. Uh, Yeah there's a tragedy to Sizemore. It is because Maeve is not the lines are being repeated back to her because she's fully awake. It's just, it's really sad to see it with Hector. And I'm sorry, when you say Isabella, I think about Richard Alpert's wife. Okay, moving on. <laughs> we are not going there. I okay. can't, I can't, I can't, I can't follow you to the, to the, to the, to the Black Rock today. Okay, good. Uh, but maybe another time, another time. Uh, but Maeve is, uh, is, is kind of bonding with Sizemore a little bit too. We find out that Sizemore's Isabella did not die. She left me. She said my lifestyle lacked stability. Uh, and <laughs> like, like uh, William. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I think, you know, this is a guy who I think, uh, is certainly a, a bit of a pathetic individual, but I think that the show is starting to like try and make him a little bit more of a sympathetic individual, slowly but surely. And some comic relief. Uh, so we go back to Fort Forlorn Hope, uh, <laughs> which again, it just does not roll off the tongue. Uh, and we have this scene with Bernard and Dolores. Uh, what did you make of this sequence between these two hosts who are uniting for the first time this season? It's hard to remember that because you see the early scenes in season right. one. Um, and even in the beginning of this uh, season, I believe, where it is Arnold and her. And I had a thought, uh, I did write it down, which is, did we know that Dolores knew he's a host? Yeah, if I'm remembering right, I think the way that it plays out is Dolores reaches the the center of the maze. She gets to Escalante at the end of season one and realizes that she's Wyatt, but a lot of that is at the prodding of Ford and Bernard is there as well. And they like exchange a look where, you know, Ford is kind of for the first time laying out for them and for the audience alike that he's come around on Arnold's way of thinking. So they're both there in that moment, but they never really have a moment to connect. So this is the first time to my recollection 
that Dolores and Bernard are talking mano y mano, hosty host. Okay. I was just, I was surprised that there are zero memories from Arnold programmed in. I assumed there would be. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, at least not yet, you know, nothing that he's woke to. Um, right. That being said, like he's been having massive cortical failure. <laughs> so who knows? Like uh, he's, if once he gets that all straightened out, maybe he's going to be all Arnolded up. Yeah. I thought um, despite them, you know, meeting for the first time, uh, you know, you take two incredible actors and you give the gravitas of this scene. And I thought it was spectacular. But I like this too because you know we talked about this a bit last week when when Dolores and Maeve had their had their you know long awaited crossover their ships in the night moment um, and Maeve is really kind of questioning the way that Dolores is operating be like oh this is the only version of freedom it's got to be your way or the highway it's got to be revenge <laughs> revenge is just another prayer at their altar and like we've also been talking about how Teddy has seemed skeptical yeah. of Dolores that's really reinforced later on in this episode um, but now to have Bernard, who is like the, you know, if, if there's like four main characters on this show in terms of the hosts, I think it's, you know, it's Dolores, it's Maeve, it's Teddy and Bernard. And to have all three of those people seeming to be like really not sure about Dolores's way of doing things. For me, it really makes me feel like I don't know that the show wants us to be on Dolores's side. Oh, for sure. They're not setting her up. It seems Maeve is Maeve is coming across as more heroic. Yeah. It's, I mean, not that, they're, not that they're supposed to be pitted against each other, but the two main separate storylines are very interesting side by side. Well, I think, you know, Dolores has this uh, this white hat, black hat quality about her, you know, the rancher's daughter and then Wyatt. And of course, it's going to produce, uh, you know, shades of gray in between those two personalities. And so just like thematically, where are we going with that? You know, is it is it um, you know, is Dolores going to come to, to think that the way she's been doing things has been wrong or is she really going to double down? I don't have a great handle on what's coming up with her story, like if it's going to be proven that everybody was wrong to be uh you know to be questioning her methods or if everyone is going to be proven right that the way that she's doing things is just like a little off yeah um i've i don't have a lot of predictions for for that other than like i think you know everything that's happening between dolores and teddy obviously is is not great no it's like the why prophecy is like fulfilling itself oh for sure (laughs) um is it in the same scene where when Bernard is working on Dad Bernathy on the iPad, he discovers a one-time use key? Yeah, so that's that's coming up. Uh, okay. So she, she, yeah, so she is going to to show her father to Bernard and basically like, I need you to help me fix him. Uh, can you help me fix him? And he's going to look into him. And there is uh, this in- incredibly complex encryption uh, that is going on. It there's like a a very thin character that has been jury rigged onto <laughs> him, and it feels like it's masking a vastly bigger file. And just to kind of yada yada all that stuff. Bernard is going to be working on Dad Bernathy while uh, while the war breaks out between uh, the Confederados and the and the QA forces, and he is going to use this one time key, like you mentioned, and whatever he finds, we are not going to see, but he is going to respond to it by saying, "Oh my God!" Well, except that I found that scene open to interpretation. I thought, what if this is a complete delete key, and it just it deletes his the hard drive of Dad Bernathy, including all the data that's being hidden. 
Well, then Charlotte is going to be very upset when she is able to run some diagnostics <laughs> on Abernathy, having just captured the guy. Um, and I got to imagine that he is still a high value target, considering in the two weeks later storyline, she's still asking about Abernathy. Okay. Uh, like, like she's going to bag him up here in this episode, but obviously somewhere along the way, she's going to lose him again, right? Right. Yeah. Like I feel like I feel like that that has to be where we're going with okay. that. Okay. Fine, makes sense of things. Moving on. <laughs> um so outside of all of that, we go back to the underground tunnel, and that is when we see Atomic Blonde herself. <laughs> we see uh robot Charlize Theron, aka Armistice with her new arm looking pretty cool. <laughs> Armistice, uh, come on now. Yeah, a little on the nose. <laughs> uh, but she's like roughing all these people up and Hector and Maeve and, and Sizemore, they all link up with her. We also get to see that this is where Felix and Sylvester have been. They've Finally. been at. Yeah, but they, <laughs> I, I'm so confused <laughs> as to how this happened to these people that they were uh, just like caught with like. Uh, like how long has that grenade been under Sylvester's chin for like all of that? I just, I, I feel bad for these guys, like not that bad for Sylvester, but really bad for Felix. Well, first of all, given her new Khaleesi arm, I assume that they were put to the task to build her the arm. Right. That I seems also fair. did not think that was a grenade. I watched it twice and thought it was an animal voice box thing. They just wouldn't allow <laughs> him to talk. <laughs> an animal voice box thing? You know, where they like mute barking? It's like a muting of the like, uh, uh, voice box. I did not at all see it as a grenade. That's hilarious. I thought it was a grenade because of the way that Sylvester's like, please take this out. And she like puts the pin back in it. Huh. Uh, so I think I thought it was just like her being like the deranged psychopath <laughs> robot that she huh. is. I think that that's what was going okay, on. Great. Uh, but the now this party of three has become a party of six yes. uh, as they are uh, they get on an elevator and they go off to parts unknown we will address where they are going at the end of this episode um, but everything that's going on with Dolores and Bernard they are looking into into Abernathy and uh, Bernard is basically saying like listen uh, whatever is in your father's head People are going to come here to get rid of it because as long as he's with you, they're going to keep following you. They really want what's in his mind. And Dolores has the badass line, then let them come. Yeah. She has a lot of good lines in this episode. Evan Rachel Wood is so great. Spectacular, really. Like, you know, I think it's like... Obviously, Tandy Newton as Maeve is tremendous uh, and is is worthy of all of the praise. And I, I'm, you know, my favorite character on the show, I think, is Maeve. Uh, but I, I just got to tip your hat to how freaking good Evan Rachel Wood as Dolores is. Like, she's just playing a lot of different layers of this character, and it's so much fun to watch. And sometimes it's like really scary to watch. She's great. Oh, it's true. It's a lot of it is in her eyes and her face. Yeah. Uh, it's it's sort of some of it's an imperceptible change between White and Dolores, and I think that you know she's so talented that she pulls it off. And you know this is a this is literally a on the page she's playing a robot, but you would never know it. So we're gonna get into the big battle scene here. I don't think that there's like a ton for me that like I need to like pick apart on a granular level, other than I I've seen that a lot of people and like my my friend reached out to me the other day to say uh, I could I could 
defeat Dolores's army with a better plan than Delos. Like that, like they were like rolling up to them in like single file, like Revolutionary War style. Uh, I guess I got to go back and review the tape. Did you have any issues with the way the fight scene played out, Joe? Uh, not at all. I just found it interesting that now she has the Walking Dead on her side. She does, yeah. Like the all of like the the Wyatt disciples, yeah. They're all like you know, like it's they for somebody who's. Yeah, for somebody who's championing consciousness and like the <laughs> rise of her people, like she's really into just like the zombification of these people. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting little touch. But you know, she needs an army. She'll do, she, she'll do what she can. How about uh, sharpshooter Angela Tallulah Riley oh with the uh, with the eagle eye? Between her and Clementine, I'm like, wow, these ladies are these ladies have got it going on. Yeah, they're they're in like full blown Terminator mode. So yeah, so the big fight breaks out, and uh, it's gonna. It, there's a few developments that happen here. Charlotte and her like secret elite team. They are gonna successfully infiltrate the fort and grab Dad Bernathy, but not until uh, Bernard has opened the decrypted file. So whatever's going on in there, he has an oh my god reaction. So TBD on exactly what is going on with all of that. Dolores is going to be uh, uh, immediately alerted to. The the fact that her father has been taken she is going to charge after <laughs> charlotte and everybody and she's gonna sustain two gunshot wounds uh and just like take them <laughs> it was a great going. terminator moment and i thought is dolores now unkillable i don't know i mean i think she must be able to just like weather the extreme pain because she's so woke to the fact that like it's not real yeah. you know like i can patch that up immediately uh so that was awesome and just like the way she's like split up the horde <laughs> send them in every direction you and i are going to Sweetwater. there's something i need there what does she need in Sweetwater? we're gonna go back to Sweetwater. that feels like uh we're we're taking a couple steps backwards i think she's looking for william it's amazing uh, to me to think that we haven't even have we even seen Sweetwater this season yet. I don't we think we have. And then there was zero William in this entire episode. That's true. There was the flashback to Sweetwater right. in episode two, but other than that, uh, yeah, no William in this episode. Um, so yeah, maybe she she needs like a rendezvous with the Man in Black. Maybe, maybe it's a, she's going to propose a team up, or she's going to I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how that's all. I do have one funny note on her line, the last line of I think of the episode, which is "We don't all deserve to make it." And I went, "Okay, Thanos." Yeah. Oh my God. No spoilers for how uh, Avengers Infinity no, no, War plays I mean, that, out. But if you are a villain, I, I feel like the odds are decent that whoever's listening to this yeah. is one of like the you know five hundred million bajillion people <laughs> who has uh, seen that movie. But yeah, very like very Thanos esque indeed. Uh, of like half of all life is precious. Uh, so yeah. So that's going on. Uh, Clementine is going to like knock out Bernard, yeah. which is going to be kind of amazing. And why is that like? Obviously, Dolores ordered that. She's keeping Bernard. She needs him. Yeah, I don't know why uh, we have to knock Bernard out. That feels like excessive use of force. It's interesting because she has Bernard and Maeve has Sizemore. And and um, allegedly, uh, you know, Elsie and Stubbs are amassing their own team. It's, it's just interesting to see. I have no idea where it's headed, but the people, the pairings this season are pretty exciting. So many pairings, so many teams, so many sides. Uh, and speaking of sides, uh, Major Craddock and Colonel Brigham, they chose the wrong side yes. uh, because Dolores just sacrifices them as some sort of like suicide play to defeat the security forces. Uh, and it's it's the line that you said, like, not all of us deserve to make it. Uh, and so she has deemed 
some hosts unworthy of advancement, which feels very judgy. <laughs> it does. And that look we talked about before when she's like, oh, gosh, Teddy, he's still like I said, in every episode this season, he still hasn't killed. He follows her around, but he does not kill hosts. I mean, he and he and Angela killed all of the Confederados in in last week's episode. But I guess right. we like the understanding that they were going to bring them all back to life immediately. So like, right. But in this case, like she's like saying, like, execute them. Uh, yeah, I believe her exact words are take this dog out back and put him down with the rest. Again, they have not opened up his brain ball and adjusted him to be less sensitive. He's so sensitive. He is a sensitive soul. Which is why we know he winds up in the lake at the end of episode one. Why, why, why? Yeah, we're still building up to whatever reason that is, but... Uh, it's not looking good for our boy. It's not looking good for our boy, Joe. Uh, Teddy refuses to shoot uh, Jonathan Tucker and the rest of these guys. He sends, <laughs> he sends them away, and Dolores is watching all of this from a distance, and you're just like, ah... Ah, uh, <laughs> makes me nerves. Makes me so nerves. Yeah, I mean, she's uh, she's delicious, really. To watch Evan Rachel Wood play this role and just eat up the scenery, it's amazing. Yeah, it's really great. Uh, so that's everything that goes on in Fort Forlorn Hope. Uh, <laughs> we talked already about Grace washes ashore. She is caught by Ghost Nation. TBD on how all of that is going to play out. And then the final scene of the episode is Maeve and Hector and Sylvester and Felix and Sizemore and Atomic Blonde are showing up in this snowy land where there yes. are severed heads and a screaming man with a sword and feels safe to say we are in we are in Shogun world at this point. Um, for sure. And that was an awesome way to introduce it and not what I expected. Yeah, it's a little bit of a cliffhanger and like a little bit of a promise that like the next time we see Maeve uh, and everyone in that storyline, like we should finally be getting like our really good, great exposure into all things Shogun World, which is very exciting. Like the Raj was great. What a yeah. surprise, uh, a total treat to see more of the park than uh, I think you or I had been expecting. Um, and most people, I would assume. Uh, but I'm ready. I'm ready for Shogun World. Show me what's well up. And also, you know, uh, weather, climate, and terrain-wise, a little snow. A little, little bit of snow. Yeah. Yeah. They're past, uh, like they're past like the that. wall. They're beyond <laughs> the wall, Joe. <laughs> they are definitely, again, there are dragons and walls. We yes. like it. Yes. Um, I, I also, like you, like the movie The Last Samurai. And so I'm pretty much going to dig... Um, um, well, I don't have to spoil to say who's been cast in this show this season. Yes. Also lost. Yes. Yes. Uh, a great actor, Hiroyuki Sonata, uh, has been cast on Westworld. So uh, we will see him. I'm excited to see. Point. Yeah, I'm excited to see all of the people that are going to be involved in in Shogun World. Especially like I love this group that is going to Shogun World. Yeah. Uh, like we're going to get Hector in Shogun World. Like that's so cool. <laughs> it's, <laughs> like, it's pretty rad. Yeah. So. Very excited about all of that. That's the episode. Joe, any um, any lingering theories, anything that you haven't touched on that you want to bring up now? Just one more thing is I forgot to mention with the title Virtue e Fortuna, which I believe is a Machiavellian uh, phrase. And okay. from, from my lit major days, I remember one thing from Machiavelli, which is it is better to be feared than loved. And I believe that that is completely in line with Dolores. Yeah, I think her, her battle tactics in this episode uh, are very much like the ends justify the means, too. Yeah. Uh, so all of that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, it's, it's scary, scary yeah. character. Somebody just to remember, fear. The Raj is an anagram for the jar. I'm just saying. <laughs> All right. Well, good jarb today on oh, the damn. podcast, Joe. I thought this was a, another fun one for, I think this is a more straightforward episode of Westworld. If that is something that you can ever classify Westworld <laughs> as like, it's more action forward. You know, I think, right. uh, uh, kind of, uh, we're, we're moving the ball forward. Um, but maybe a little slower than the first two episodes. Like if I were to if I were to power rank the the first three of the season, I don't know where I would go with which is better, the premiere or the second one. But I think that this would be in third place for me right now. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, uh, third place is still better than any other episode of any other show on television uh, on any network. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. That. And I, I, I am just, I greatly enjoying our it. listeners because um, the feedback has been very kind and constructive, and I think people know. By you know, especially the people who are new to our podcast, the Josh and I, grain of salt. Like we love recapping, joking, and theorizing about this show. But grain of salt, like we're not experts. We are two nerds who love to do this and talk about it. And I think people get our tone, and I just get from the feedback that people are enjoying it. So we appreciate that. That being said, the jar is real. We are all <laughs> we are all going to be trapped in the mayo jar before before too long. Or the garage. Great. Or the garage, or the garage, in the garage. Great song. Uh, <laughs> lots going on here on Westworld. We're going to be back next week talking about episode four, The Riddle of the Sphinx, uh, directed by Lisa Joy, co-creator of Westworld, her first, uh, her directorial debut on Westworld. Awesome. I love that. that. That should be great. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, and the preview for the episode uh, shows uh, some Ed Harris. So what we were lacking in the Man in Black this week, it seems like we'll get a decent amount of Man in Black next week. Uh, so I'm excited. I'm stoked. I, I can't wait to uh, to have a, another episode of Westworld to discuss with you next week, Joe. Me too. And if you'll uh, indulge me for a minute, I would like to pimp out one uh, related thing to my nonprofit, if that's yes, okay. Yes, of course. Absolutely. So, uh, a lot of you may or may not know, I, I run a small nonprofit in my spare time called Cancer Gets Lost. We collect entertainment collectibles and try and get them signed. Uh, and we have huge auctions every few years online. And we have one coming up in July. And I have the opportunity, thanks to some kind friends that I've known since the Lost and Bad Robot days, who invited me to the Westworld offices last week when I was in Los Angeles um, doing some final pickups for the charity auction. And I have now, in our auction in July, a set of Sweetwater Saloon, Mariposa Saloon shot glasses. That's awesome. A sealed deck of Mariposa playing cards and a Westworld Bad Robot crew jacket. Amazing. And a, uh, a four, what's that What's that format? Not Blu-ray, but the one above it now, the four HD, I'm blanking. Oh my God, I have the no 4K idea. The 4K Ultra version of season one of Westworld in a, in a collectible tin. 4K Ultra, I have no idea where we are in terms of technology It's anymore. one level above the Blu-ray, but I play it. What's happening? This tin contains that plus the Blu-ray plus the digital copy plus the DVD. <laughs> and if you bid now, you will also be able to get a full functioning host, like an actual <laughs> robot. To be fair, the auction opens July 1st. And yes. we'll make sure on the podcast to let you know where. You can find uh, Cancer Gets Lost at Cancer Gets Lost on Twitter and CancerGetsLost.org. And I appreciate you letting me pimp it out. But it's, it's relevant since it's Westworld. We can auction off a fully functional robot version of me. I'm willing to let that happen. Starting and bid, $1. Yeah. And final bid, $1. <laughs> Sold. I'd like to buy it. 
<laughs> That'll be great. It'll be a lot of uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of dumb nonsense talk is all you're getting from your robot. Really, not worth much more than a buck. Uh, hopefully, this podcast is worth a little bit more than that. Great stuff as always, Joe. We will be back next week. In the meantime, you can talk to us on the Twitters. We are there. Joe is at Joe Opinionated. I am at Round Howard. Our podcast is at postshowrecaps.com slash Westworld. Uh, I've got Westworld nonsense going on at thr.com slash Westworld. Joe has very important and great and fun <laughs> stuff going on at cancergetslost.org. And we will all have tons of fun as we continue down the rabbit hole of Westworld Season 2 next week with Riddle of the Sphinx. Joe, I shall talk to you then. May we meet again. Take care. Maybe, may we, may if we meet again. Oh, that's know. even better. All right, we're done. It's over. <laughs>